All right, so I was trying to figure out, um, because we haven't been going through a series in young adults, we have been going through a series in students, and so um, more on the student side, but I thought it would be good as well uh, for, for young adults too. We, we just had, for those that don't know, um, Snow Retreat, which is our winter retreat with the students, and our whole theme was devo- devoted. And so I was trying to like take everything for them and kind of move forward. How do we like move out of a retreat like Snow Retreat and move forward from it? But then as I started to think more about this, um, I feel like this might be one of, as I told them, I think one of the most um, important messages I'll ever give, but I think even more the most important message at this time. Because I'm going to use this word devoted, but it's also kind of synonymous with this word I'm going to use love. Because I think when we look at a word like devoted, look at a word like love, we're going to see here momentarily how Jesus walks us through. This should be the heartbeat of our life. Love should be the thing. Devotion to him is the thing that should be our, our heartbeat of life. And as we look at the world around us, this is what we're seeing a lot more divided. We're not seeing a lot of devotion. We're seeing a lot of divided. You bring anything up, there's division. You want to talk about the vaccine, there's division. There's people that support it, there's people that don't. You talk about masks, people support it, people don't. You talk about politics, divided. And you can go on and on about all these different things. It seems like everything in our world, there's got to be one side or the other. And what's happened in our lives is that we've said we can't like come together and find like this middle ground that, okay, maybe you believe that, but I don't believe it, but we can still be friends. It's like, if you don't believe what I believe, then I'm not friends with you anymore. I can't talk to you anymore. And so we push them to the other side and there becomes this division, not this unity. And I think the more and more I look around in the world, even in conversations I have, it's like, it doesn't matter. We can have our opinions and I think you need to know this and it might hurt a little bit. Your opinion doesn't matter. I think social media has given us this platform where we feel like if we put our opinion out there, all these people are going to rally behind us, and it's a good thing. You can have your opinion. You can have your beliefs, but that means if someone disagrees, it's okay. Just because I put out there, I don't know, take for example, let's say I'm, I'm full force vaccine, and I put that out there, and then everybody else is like, well, I don't know if I agree in getting it. And, and so I just go, well, I'm not going to talk to you guys anymore. Like, what does it really matter if I'm in support of that and people aren't? My opinion doesn't matter. This is just what I believe. And so now what we've created in our world is a world that's divided. And I think at a crucial time as we're in, as we look into a new year, 2022, we need to look at a year of devoted and not division. We need to look at a year that we're bringing people together and it's with this one idea Love. Love. And I'll explain that here in a second. But in order for us to be able to give love, we have to experience that love. So I can remember a big thing we used to do when I was in high school is we played airsoft all the time. And we started like stockpiling airsoft guns. I think at points we were up to like 30 or 40 airsoft guns. We would just buy all these guns, even if they were cheap guns, because what our thing was is that we always wanted people to play with us. So we didn't want anybody to say, well, I'm not going to be able to come because I don't have a gun. So we always just had a bunch of extra guns. And then there was like my dad's 
part where he had a couple guns and like nobody touched those guns because if we lost anything then we would have to buy it and so where if we broke ours it's like who cares we'll just get another one so we had all these guns and we'd always ask these people so there were times we'd have like 20 on 20 or we'd have you know 10 on 10 we'd have all these people out in our backwoods playing airsoft some people had good guns some people had really terrible guns but we played so we felt really good because we would get a lot of people, even that people that said that I would never go play airsoft, we'd frame it to make it seem like it was fun and it really didn't hurt that bad. And so they'd be like, okay, I'll come play. So one time we finally got our aunt to play. If, if you know my aunt a little bit, um, she's, she's not um, very tall, um, but she's, I always say she's very powerful in the way she handles herself. Like she can talk trash, she can handle her own. But when it comes to like taking risks, she's not a big risk taker. She's not somebody that's going to be like, I'm going to go try something. Even if it's scary, even if it hurts, I don't care. She's not that kind of person. But somehow we got in her head enough that we made it seem like this is a fun thing to do and it really doesn't hurt that bad. And so we finally got her after like months and months of trying to get her because she would always kind of throw out there, oh, I think that'd be fun to play. All right, go out with you guys. And so finally we're like, okay, we're going to do it. And she said, okay, let's do it. And so we used to live right over here on the, um, down by the golf course. And so we would go back to this woods that was on the other side of this field. We'd walk the golf course. And the entire time we're walking this golf course, she's freaking out. She's like, I don't know what I just got myself into. I don't know what this is going to be like. We're all carrying these airsoft guns like we're going to war or something because we got all this gear on and we got all these guns. And she's like, this looks like it's something serious, not just having fun. And so the whole time, though, we're going out, I'm trying to explain to her. I said, okay, now we actually have to tell her how it is because we can't lie to her. And then she'll, like, run at somebody and then get pelted, and it'll hurt really bad, and it'll end very badly. So we got to make sure we prepare her for what she's going to feel. And so we start telling her what it's going to feel like. You know, the way I always tell people is it feels like a bee sting. You get hit with it, and it stings, like, right when you get hit, and then usually it goes away. And so we're trying to explain to her this is what it feels like. And so she started to be able to like understand a little bit, but she only gave us credit to, to understand what it feels like to get hit by an airsoft gun because we had gotten hit before. If I were to go along with her and walk the golf course and say, hey, I'm going to be honest with you here, I've never played airsoft. I have no idea what this feels like. I don't know what you're getting into. It would have either freaked her out or if I tried to tell her what it feels like, she'd be like, you've never been hit. How do you know what it feels like? But because of what I've experienced, I was able to tell her what her experience was going to be like. And just for your laugh, I, I guess she used a metal shield the whole time and pretty much sat in the woods right in the middle behind the shield. And you just kept hearing these little ping, ping, ping off the shield because we all decided to turn on her and try to hit her. So she sat behind it. Um, but she did have fun and she really enjoyed it. And I think she did get hit once and said it wasn't that bad. But it's this... It's the whole idea that, that in all these areas of life, when, when you try to go do something and somebody tries to tell you what it's like, if they've never experienced, it's hard for you to trust what their experience is. If Shannon tries to come tell me this is what an airsoft gun feels like, but she's never picked one up and never gotten hit by one, I'm not going to trust her. But if she's been out there and she's played and she tries to tell me this is my first time playing, this is how it's going to feel, I can trust her because of her experience. We're not able to go out and be devoted and point people to Jesus into this relationship if we've never experienced his love on our own. We can't tell people what this love is like if you've never experienced it. John 13, 35 says this, kind of frames 
the whole rest of this talk, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Or some different translations will say, the world will know you by your love. Question, if you were to ask people, take away your Christian status, if you want to say, would they know you by your love? Would they know that you're a part of this relationship with Jesus because you're a loving person? Not because you go to church, not because you read your Bible, but because every day you wake up and you say, my goal is to love people whether I agree with them or not. Jesus is talking here. I don't have it in red like in some Bibles, but this is Jesus talking. You will know my disciples by their love. You see, the church world... And I want to make clear as I talk, I might, I'm going to mention the church a little bit, not just our church, the church in general. We've given kind of a bad rap when it comes to this relationship with Jesus because we've turned it into a legalistic set of rules and not about a loving relationship towards people and God himself. So as we look at a divided world, I want to unpack this idea with two different stories real quickly. Be divide, devoted, not divided. Be devoted, not divided. So the first story is this. John chapter 8, one you've probably heard before, um, but it's the story of the woman caught in adultery. It says this, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking to the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The laws of Moses say to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped out away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Okay, so, so in order for us to understand this idea of de- devoted, we have to understand first that if we're going to be devoted, we're going to be people that are known by our love, we have to experience that love first. You say, well, Taylor, how does this story even show that? Let me unpack it for a second. So let's just kind of nutshell this story real quickly. So what happens, if you catch this, it says here, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, if we wanted to put a general term on this, the church people. The church people catch this woman caught in the act of adultery. This wasn't something she confessed at like a snow retreat. She was like, man, I've been really dealing with this, so I'm going to confess I've been in adultery. No, no, no. She was in the act of of adultery the church people go and drag her into the temple as jesus is up here teaching the people uh, about him his word all this stuff and they drag her set her right down in front of everybody so she's probably embarrassed already that she's been caught in the act not only has she been caught she's now put in the center of all these people and the church people say well according to the law of moses she's supposed to die we're looking at the people that are supposed to be the ones that are known by their love, and they drag this woman and say she needs to be killed for what she's done. And Jesus, I couldn't imagine this with tensions high, he doesn't try to address it, he immediately just stoops down and starts writing. 
I don't know what he's writing. He might write, you know, some people say he was writing the sins of all the Pharisees. Some people say he was just doodling. I don't know what he was writing, but, but he writes all this. And after he's fed up with it all and them trying to say, give us an answer. She needs to die. She needs to be held accountable for her sins. He stands up and he says, well, if you haven't sinned, you can throw the first stone. And one by one, they drop their stones, oldest to youngest, and they exit. You see, the problem sometimes when it comes into this division is the church isn't helping. It's almost aiding in the division. We're not trying to love people in the midst of their sin. This, this woman is in the middle of her sin, and the church people drag her to Jesus and say, she needs to be held accountable for her sin. She needs to be put to death because that's what the law says. Jesus, is that what you are okaying us to do? And Jesus says, if that's what you want to do, then if you haven't sinned, go ahead and throw. So they leave, and all that's left is Jesus and this woman. There's something in Jesus that he has a love for this woman that no matter what she's done, he doesn't want her dead. There's value in her. I love her. I want her to be in a relationship. And so he finds a way to make sure the other people get out of the room so that he can show this woman, I still love you. As he says here at the bottom, neither do I. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. I still love you. I still want to be in a relationship with you. Just because you've made a mistake and you've been in sin doesn't mean I'm going to get rid of you like the other people wanted to. I've been in the shoes of this woman. Now, I may not have been caught in the act of adultery, but there's many other things I can fill in that blank that I've done in my life, and I've been dragged down in front of Jesus, and they're like, he deserves to be punished. He deserves to be whatever. And Jesus still stands there. And he still shows his love. And he still shows up for me. And he still says there's something about you that I value and I want you a part of my life. And this is what he does with the woman. He says, I don't want her dead. I want her to experience love. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you're in the act of adultery. I don't condemn you. Go out and change your life. Keep living. I still love you. Even in the midst of of your sin. You are loved by God no matter what you have done. Think about some of the stuff I've done, um, and I've done a lot of rough things in my life, but one of the things that I can think of um, that happened in high school is we used to have these campouts when I was in high school when we lived um, down here, and we would go to our backyard and you know have fire, camp out in tents, and that's kind of what we did. And so one night um, I had went to bed, with um, one of my friends, we both went to bed early. We got up the next morning, and in the middle of our campsite were these two that probably many of you guys have seen these things that are like those athletic signs that go in your front yard, those yard signs. It had your name on it. So if it was a baseball and had your name or football, whatever it was, there were these yard signs. So in the middle of our campsite were these two yard signs, people I knew. And I come out of the tent. I was one of the first ones to wake up, and I go, well, that's kind of interesting. And so all the rest of the guys finally wake up. They come out and they start sitting around um, as we're waking up. And I go, where did these come from? And so I um, hear this story about, you know, imagine we're right down here by the golf course of two of the guys had left the campsite, walked all through the golf course, found themselves all the way out by um, McDonald's on Claremont, got some food on Claremont and came back to the campsite 
and on their way back through saw these signs, so they took them. I was like, okay, this is a crazy story. So all that happens. We kind of pack everything up, and these are still sitting here. I'm like, what are we supposed to do with these? Like, it's daylight. We can't just go back and put them in their yard like nothing happened. So we tossed them in the woods um, that was next to our campsite and just left them there. And we didn't know what to do with them. So we ended up having some more campouts. And finally, after like a month of them sitting out there, I said, I, I don't know what we should do with them, so I guess we'll just burn them because they're wood, so they'll just burn. And so we build our fire, we throw those things on top, and me having the number of one of the people that these signs were from, thinking it as more of like a joke, I took a picture and I sent it to him. Well, I didn't realize at this time um, what this would portray, as I thought it was a joke. I sent this to him, he shows his dad, his dad's part of like the school board, and it blew up into this big thing where they kind of thought it was going to be like this um, almost like a hazing type thing that we were trying to do and he was going to press charges and all this stuff and so he gave a phone call to my dad and we went, ended up going over there and apologizing trying to take care of the whole situation nothing ended up happening but I was a woman I was at the feet of Jesus as all this stuff as we thought it was just kind of a funny little innocent prank where I lay now in front of Jesus going this is what I deserve I deserve to be punished for what I chose to do instead of just saying, hey, we took your signs and I'll just give them back to you. I decided to do something that I thought was funny, which was a mistake. And now I'm laying in front of Jesus and Jesus keeps saying, I don't care what you've done. You can fill in all these different stories of my life and I'm sitting in front of Jesus and Jesus keeps saying, it's okay, just, just turn your life around. I still love you. I still want to be in a relationship with you. I still value you. And all throughout my life, as I look at all these different mistakes that I made, Jesus still showed up. Jesus still showed love because he cared. And once you begin to experience God's love, you can begin to give it to other people. So in the moments as I laid in front of Jesus, in a sense, and he kept saying, go and sin no more, the moment I began to experience his love until like, the, my early 20s is when I really kind of clicked on back with Jesus and it was like, yeah, I understand that he's going to show up no matter what. He's going to forgive me no matter what. His love I cannot describe, but he's there. And so I experienced that love. And as I began to experience it, as you begin to experience, you need to take yourself back to those moments. There's going to be days you wake up and Jesus isn't going to matter to you. But you need to take yourself, maybe it's back to the moment when it finally clicked for you, when you've realized how short you've fallen and, and, and sinful you are and what Jesus did for you on a cross, that he loved you so much that he was willing to send his son to die so you could be in a relationship with him. Maybe it's that moment when you began to experience that love that you're like, wow, he loves me even though I did this? Take yourself back to those moments and... and, and Realize the love that you felt in that moment because you won't feel the spiritual high in a sense every day like you will at a conference or you will at a, an event. But you need to remind yourself that love that he has so you can begin to extend it. Um, here's a quote. I'm not much of a quote person, but I saw this this week and I thought it was really good by Paul Washer. He said, have you ever wondered why some men who were drug addicts and women who were prostitutes and murderers and so on and so forth, when they had converted, they seemed to be filled with such a special zeal for God. It is because they didn't come from a country club, 
They didn't come from some religious denomination or religious life where everyone pretends to be moral, upstanding, and deserving of God's love. They came out of the sewer, and when they heard about the love of God, their hearts exploded. This is the moment I'm talking about, that when you realize where you've come from, I'm not asking you to jump into a religious life. I'm asking you to jump into a relationship where you experience a love you can't explain. And once you begin to experience that, all you want to do is have other people experience it too. So how do we begin to show other people once we've experienced it? Another quick story you've heard, and I'll rush through this one. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him from, for dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. The temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. You have to understand real quickly, and I can't get into all the logistics because it would take too long, um, but for a very basis you need to understand Jews and Samaritans are kind of like what we've experienced the past year and a half to two years with racial injustice or racial tension that we've talked about um, and you've seen all over the world. There was this huge tension between Jewish people and Samaritans. They were called half-breeds, if you want to say. And so the Jews had no association with the Samaritans, kind of pushed them out of society. And so you would think, coming along in this story, this would not be the person who stops. But catch who did pass by. A priest and a temple assistant. The church people. The ones that are supposed to stop and love other people. The ones that are supposed to take time out of their schedule because they see this person half dead. I think what's very interesting is Jesus adds in here, it's not that they just passed by and didn't see. It says the priest came along. But when he saw, when he saw with his own eyes that there is a man lying there half dead on the side of the road, he crossed to the other side. There wasn't a love that he experienced from God. There was something in him that, that was more of the legalistic set of laws that he experienced. And he says, I don't have time for this. i got to get to the temple so that I can perform rituals. I can teach. I can do all these different things. I don't have time to go help this man. This is probably what goes through his head. And the same with the temple assistant. They didn't experience that love. And so something in the Samaritan's life, even though they don't associate with Jews, there was a love he experienced. And when he saw the man lying there, compassion fell over him. Love fell over him. And he said, man, i got to take care of him. And he bandaged him up, takes him on his donkey, gives him to a hotel, and says, if I come back and it's still higher, I will pay for it. That's the kind of love I'm talking about. That's the kind of love when love is inconvenient, we stop anyway so that we can show people love. That even if we don't believe what other people believe in, we still show up and love them. Well, they're a homosexual, Taylor. We can't. You still show up and love them. Well, Taylor, they, they voted for the other party. You still show up and love them. 
We get in our heads that for some reason that if we love on people who believe something different than us, we support what they believe in. Jesus hung out, look all through his life, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes. Does that mean Jesus supports what they're doing? No. Jesus wanted to make sure these people understood love. And one of the biggest things we can do in our world as we look at it, such a divided world is we need people who are going to show up as a Samaritan to the Jewish people and say, I don't care what you believe in. I'm going to love you because people will know that I'm a disciple of God, that I'm in a relationship with Jesus when I love other people no matter what they believe. Because when you experience love, you extend love. When I experience how God, when I'm the woman in the middle of the circle and I experience that love that God has for me, all I want to do is love other people. Love extended no matter what. It's not love, oh, I experienced it and I'll extend love when I want to. No, it's love experienced, love extended no matter what. Sorry if you're going to be a little late to work you want to stop by somebody on the road that's broken down just to make sure they're okay. Sorry you may be a little late to your next thing because somebody wants to talk to you after church because they're going through something and you just want to love them and listen. Love isn't always convenient, but it's what we're called to. When you are devoted to care, when you are devoted, you care to see people love Jesus, not change them. It's the last thing I'll hit and I'll close it up. I think a lot of times when we get in our heads that we're supposed to love other people, we think that means we're supposed to change them. You can talk to me till I'm blue in the face. Let's take, for example, that, that I drink all the time. And you try to tell me, oh, Taylor, you're, you're leading a bunch of people. You're, you work at a church. You probably shouldn't be drinking all the time. It's not good. You can tell me whatever you want. You can tell me statistics, facts, whatever. I'm not going to listen to you. Because you can't change my heart. You're not in the business of changing hearts. Jesus is the one changing hearts. Your job is to love people. So our job should be, when these people are struggling with this, oh, well, we should fix them up and get them to not be homosexual anymore so that we can get them to Jesus. No, 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 no. We should be, I will love on them and get them to Jesus, point them to Jesus, but I don't have to change them. I can't change them. You will spend way too much time and pressure to put on yourself trying to change people instead of just loving them. If you just show up to love people, you will lead them to Jesus. I've seen in our marriage and even in our ministry that a lot of people can say, well, you guys aren't much of people that go evangelize. No, in a sense, but what we've chose to do is we've chose to love as our evangelism. So when somebody walks in our doors, whether it's here or in our house, I don't care what they're involved in. That's not the issue. The issue is, do you understand that there's a God that loves you? When they get that, they will change. A love that is so unexplainable can change lives that we can't even explain. Our goal is to have the love experience be extended to all people. We want to try to bring unity back to our world. We need to experience God's love on a daily basis and give that to other people. Be devoted, not divided. So I close with 
with this story. It's my favorite movie, and I may have mentioned it here. But um, on Amazon Prime, there's a movie called Beautiful Boy that Steve Carell um, stars in. He's the Michael Scott of The Office, if you don't know who that is. Um, so every movie I've seen him in or show, he's funny. And so I watched this movie, knowing he's starring in it, thinking this is going to be, like, there'll probably be some funny lines or something. I knew it was a little more serious, but it's one of the first movies I've ever seen where he's not funny at all. And so it was kind of weird, but it was a really good movie. And I actually have the book that this movie's based off of, but it's basically Steve Carell plays the dad of this boy that's hooked on crystal meth. And so it tells this whole story of his struggle with crystal meth and how, you know, he stole from his family and he stole from his siblings and he would pop in and out of his house. He was in and out of rehab facilities and goes through his entire life in a struggle as he's doing all these things. And even like when he steals money from his parents to go buy drugs, where's his dad? He's there with him, loving on him. Even when he's passed out on the side of the road because he can't drive or walk anymore because he's pretty much overdosed, where is his dad? Picking him up and bringing him back home. And his dad continues to show up. Steve Carell continues to be there because that's what he's chosen to do, that I'm going to love this boy no matter what. Not because I support what he's doing, but because I have a love for him because he's my son. And so at one point, finally, he's tried everything he feels like he can do. And he says, I'm just going to practice tough love. I'm still going to be there, but I can't keep just helping him out in every way possible. And so the boy decides to go into a stall, into a bar, I think it is, or a restaurant, and he ends up ODing the very end of the movie. Um, and then he wakes up in a hospital with a wheelchair, and guess who's right next to him? His dad. Still loving him, still supporting him, still being there for him. And I guarantee anything that you decide to do in your life, you will wake up and guess who's there? God. God will still love you. You're his son, you're his daughter, and he has every bit of ounce of love that he can give to you no matter what you choose to do. He's still going to love you. That's what we need to be for people in our world today. They need to wake up after a rough weekend and guess who's there? We're there to show them love. We're there to point them to Jesus. Will you show people love? God saw you were worth it to love. Will you see people the same way.